I'm Juita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. In 1983, Benedict Anderson published his book, Imagined Communities. In it, he discusses nationalism and the nation. He hypothesized that the nation was a socially constructed community imagined by the people who perceived themselves as part of the group. While Anderson focused on print capitalism, subsequent scholarship has developed the idea of the nation and who belongs in it. Perhaps unsurprisingly, though no doubt insidiously, the citizens of this imagined community were often coded as able-bodied. Complex technologies of rehabilitation were brought to bear on citizens to ensure that all body-minds conform with the able-bodied norm. Getting disabled bodies and minds to quote-unquote fit in was part of the national project. Today, we discuss disability and able nationalism. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. I'm Chuita Gupta. I'm really glad you're joining us again for another episode of The Pulse. If you have found our programming interesting, if you want to be notified about future videos, please don't forget to like or subscribe to this channel. We load upload new videos once a week. And if you subscribe, you will know every time we drop a new video. And of course, it goes without saying, but I'll say it. Please also tell your friends, your families, and your colleagues to sign up as well so that more people have a chance to listen to some of the great content we produce on this channel. My guest today is Anastasia Todd, who is Assistant Professor of Gender and Women's Studies at the University of Kentucky. Her article, Affective Able Nationalisms and Interspecies Entanglements, was recently published in Disability Studies Quarterly. Anastasia, hello and welcome to the program. I'm really delighted you could join us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Now, you must tell me if I'm saying this wrong, but what is able nationalisms? Yeah, you're saying it correctly. That's a great question. Um, so it is basically a theory that looks at the ways in which certain disabled people get folded into the nation state. Um, so specifically in this article, I'm looking at how a specific disabled person who is a veteran is kind of brought back into the national fold via his service dog. And so you're talking about uh, a, a story that popped up on YouTube. Describe in a little more detail about uh, the it was it, it about the YouTube video and what was shown in it, and also what sort of a reception it got when it landed on YouTube. So I started this research. I'll just say a little bit too about how I got started doing this specific research. So I started this research back in 2016. So this YouTube video was on the Today Show, um, which is kind of like a morning like talk news show in the US. Um, and when I first was writing about this specific video, I was juxtaposing it with another story of a service dog and a person who unfortunately was killed by the police. But this specific video that um, I'm writing about is basically like a montage video of someone named Trevor Marischek, who was a former um, 
Navy SEAL. And he is shown with his service dog, who was a um, military dog. So his service dog um, was instrumental, I guess, in his ability to kind of return to civilian life. And so the video that I'm analyzing in this article is a montage of Trevor and Chopper, his service dog. Um, and they are like doing things that people do with their dogs. Like he's surfing with um, Chopper. He's, you know, with his family, with Chopper. Um, he's taking Chopper on a walk. But the thing that was really intriguing to me about this video was that he also is shown like um, recounting his life on the battlefield with Chopper because before Chopper was his service dog, he was his um, canine partner. And so there were images or I guess scenes in this video of him and Chopper kind of doing what they did on the battlefield. So like doing certain um, like tactical maneuvers uh, and the video itself was actually an advertisement for a Smithsonian documentary that was made about Trevor and, and Chopper. So it was kind of like a news piece, but then also an advertisement for a larger documentary. Um, and what struck me as super interesting about this, and I was already writing about and thinking about service dogs prior to um, writing about this specific case, but what was so interesting to me was not only was Chopper Trevor's service dog, but he was his former canine partner. So the juxtaposition of living your life with a service dog, um, but then also having this added layer of Chopper being a military dog was something that was super intriguing to me. Um, and the response was also something that was really interesting because in the YouTube comments. So a lot of my work is on, I do media studies work. So I look a lot at social media. And one way that I really try to think about social media is like through the comments, like how people are reacting to what they're seeing um, or what they're experiencing, what they're hearing. And so a lot of the comments were um, very much like in support of, of Chopper, but so much so that people were like, Chopper is my hero chopper is like um such a lovable dog and it was just very interesting because obviously in the us like people venerate you know our veterans in the comments it was really this veneration for for chopper for this for the dog uh, if we can take a bit of a detour i know that there's a lot of fascination a great deal of fascination with service animals now but if you look back in history, for how long have we been reliant on service dogs? Um, you know, how far back does that does that relationship actually go? Yeah, that's a great question. So in this article and in my research on service dogs, um, I really look at uh, like seeing eye, the development of seeing eye dogs and their proliferation um, during World War One. Um, and that's kind of when an industry popped up where folks were training dogs for veterans. So in this article, I speak about how post-World War One there was this industry of seeing eye dog um, training facilities that were training dogs for veterans. But 
in the research that has been done on service dogs, like dogs and humans have been in these like helping partnerships for centuries. There are some um, people that have written about these partnerships going back to like, I don't even know, like way, way, way longer, but they weren't necessarily considered to be like service dogs or like assistance animals. It's been a phenomenon that has existed for many, many, many centuries. Well, this whole idea of dog being man's best friend has got to have come from somewhere, right? So it's no wonder it goes back as far yeah. as it has. In the article, you you refer to Chopper specifically, but service dogs in general as a technology of rehabilitation. What do you mean by that? When I was kind of thinking about how Chopper has become valuable, so my article is not only like how disabled bodies, disabled body minds become like reinvigorated with value, but also thinking about why is Chopper considered to be such a valuable dog? And so I was thinking a lot about rehabilitation. So this idea that body minds, disabled body minds can be brought back to like what we think of as like normal or whole again through various technologies. And so when I'm thinking about something like a wheelchair, I write a little bit in the article about how um, another scholar of disability studies, Kelly Frisch, writes about how the wheelchair is a technology of rehabilitation. So post-World War I, there was a lot of investment, especially in Canada, into wheelchairs for veterans in order to make veterans um, mobile again, in order to kind of fold them back into economies through allowing them to work. Um, and so I thought a lot about how, like, what kind of work is the service dog doing in, in a very similar kind of vein. And so when I was thinking about Chopper specifically and thinking about the video, the Today Show video, I was really kind of um, honing in on how the service dog is kind of operating in a similar way. So how is the service dog being used or utilized as a technology that kind of allows veterans to fold back into um like a different economy. So thinking about how it allows veterans to work again, or specifically in terms of this article, I was looking a lot, um, I was looking into how Chopper had has allowed Trevor to kind of become a family man. So thinking about how he's folded back into the like white American nuclear family um, via his dog. And so when I'm thinking about like a technology of rehabilitation, I'm thinking about something that's allowing this disabled body mind to kind of be brought closer back to what we think of as like, quote, able. And of course, we are talking today about able nationalism and how this is in the this 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 technology of rehabilitation uh, might be serving the perpetuation of the nation state. If you can, can you make the connection for us? So how does, you know, utilizing Chopper or the story of Chopper in, in this way facilitate the the nation state, if you will? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so it's interesting because my research is about girlhood and disability. And so I write a lot about um, like disabled childhood and so when I was writing about this topic, I was thinking about, you know, veterans and disabled children are kind of like the most, quote, sympathetic disabled people. Um, and so I was thinking about how does, like, how do these representations work? 
in terms of shoring up some kind of narrative about the U.S.? Like, why do all of these commenters on YouTube seem to be in love with Chopper and Trevor um, when at the same time we know that in the U.S., like, disabled people have been considered to be disposable um, for various reasons, but, you know, disabled people in the U.S. are legally, they can make less money. Um, they are, you know, like streamlined into special education, which is not a very, um, like, equitable, uh, like, education system for people. And so I was just thinking, like, why are some disabled people considered to be valuable, inspirational, etc.? And so when I was thinking more about the story of Chopper and Trevor, I was thinking about how Chopper is not only valued because he is bringing Trevor back to this like more able-minded, able-bodied norm, but also the fact that he was a Navy SEAL dog. And so when I was thinking about um, Chopper's role and his veneration as like a Navy SEAL dog, and I was looking more into the comments, I was seeing how so many people were applauding Chopper as like a national hero. Um, and that kind of made me think about like the dog's historic role in securing um, the nation state, right? So when we're thinking about um, military dogs and their role in US nationalism, we can see how the dog has been used for a long time to not only like secure quote our national borders in the military, but also how the police dog has been used um, to like secure, for example, like the white nuclear family from the quote other. And so I was thinking a lot about how in the comments people were talking about how Chopper isn't just valued because he was a service dog, but he's valued because he is um, able to uh, like secure the home and secure the family um, in somewhat violent ways. So there's one commenter that I talk about who talks about their own service dog and how they're really, uh, they feel very, very protected by their service dog because their dog um, is willing to attack people like home invaders. And so I was kind of making this connection between the dog as someone securing the domestic space and the dog as someone who secured our national border, specifically in the war on terror. Because Chopper was deployed during the war on terror, um, there's a whole bunch of stories about Chopper, um, I guess, protecting um, Trevor and protecting um, other service members from quote terrorists. So there's a lot of stories about how Chopper was instrumental in um, various um, in various like scenes of battle, very uh, violent and um, visceral descriptions of Chopper like um, attacking uh, quote terrorists. And so I was just kind of making this connection between um, Chopper, like securing not only the white domestic space of uh, Trevor's home and his family, but then also securing um, the U.S. Um, during a time when uh, there was a perpetuation of the idea that the U.S. needed to be secured from people who were considered to be domestic or to considered to be 
terrorist considered to be the terrorist other. Um, and so it just really got me thinking about how uh, the dog is a very like multifaceted um, like signifier of nationalism. So thinking about how the dog is used in like these military operations, like not only like materially, like dogs are being sent out, but also in our minds, like ideologically, the dog is used as a way to shore up this idea of like a white nuclear family, like with a dog. It's, it completes kind of this like family formation that we have in our mind. Um, That's right. Yeah, that was a long answer to your question. No, because the other piece around this is uh, this whole conversation about Trevor Marischek and Chopper happens at a time when there are more and more people talking uh, about the state of veteran mental health and a spike in suicides amongst veterans. How does the narrative about Chopper get taken up in the context of that larger discussion about veteran mental health and well-being? Yeah. So um, in this piece, I talk a lot about how um, the narrative that's kind of perpetuated, or I guess not perpetuated, but the narrative that's produced specifically within the Today Show video um, perpetuates this really complicated, uh, I guess, like entanglement of like affect and emotion and psychiatric disability and mental health. And so in a lot of the narrative that's being produced in this video, we see that kind of Chopper's role as a service dog, specifically a service dog for Trevor's PTSD. Um, his role is really, uh, I guess, what is the right word? His role is constructed as this, um, what I term in this article, and I'm using it from another scholar, but Chopper is constructed as a love machine. And so what I mean by that is that in the actual video and in like news articles about Chopper, his role as a service dog is really defined as um, like teaching Trevor Marischek how to love again. Um, and so it really flattens um, like psychiatric disability or mental disability um, to this idea of like not being able to love, not being able to feel your emotions like in the right way. And so it really depoliticizes um, the way in which Marischek has acquired his disability. So instead of thinking about um, like the like war, the war on terror or military industrial complex as being a space that like disables people, instead like the relationship between Chopper and Marischek is just constructed as one that's like a common sense, like dog human relationship where the love of the dog is something that's going to quote, cure the human. You know, I thought you were going to say, because this also is, it's a, it's a fantastic quote from the article where you say that a Chopper is constructed as a savior on the leash, but in actual fact, and you talk about this towards the end of, of your piece, and I, and I can also sort of corroborate this, having talked to many people who own service dogs. The relationship isn't actually all that one-sided. And there's a great deal of cooperation and reciprocity 
in the relationship between a service animal and uh, the person that they are that they're working with or their handler. In what ways does that reciprocity come across in the relationship between Trevor Marischek and Chopper? Yeah, um, that's also a really great question. So in you know a lot of the other research that I've done about service dogs and specifically disabled girl handlers, um, there's a very similar narrative where the dog is a savior on the leash. The dog is like the... Um, the last resort for like a normative life for for the disabled handler and other people who are disability studies scholars and disabled people who write about their relationship with the service dog um, really kind of push back on that very flat idea that um, the service dog is something that's going to um, quote like cure them or the service dog is just there for its utility um, and it's really a more complicated back and forth relationship between the dog and the handler. Um, and in the case of Chopper and Trevor Marischek, there are stories that I was reading about um, how when Trevor first came back from um, being deployed, he actually was unable to bring Chopper with him um, and he had to fight for Chopper to be uh, brought back to the U.S. Um, the reason why Chopper ended up being Trevor's service dog was because he petitioned for him um, to be brought back to the U.S. as a service dog. Um, and another thing that I felt was very, that gave like more depth and nuance to the story of these two was the fact that um, after, you know, I can't remember exactly how many years old he was, but Chopper did end up becoming disabled when he was uh, older. And there were um, different news articles that spoke about how Trevor Marischek ended up caring for Chopper um, in his later in his later years, um, providing Chopper like with um, various uh, mobility devices. And it was really, to me, like it uh, illustrated this like ambivalent um, relationship. So this idea that Chopper and Marischek were, you know, at, I guess simultaneously um, like tools of like U.S. imperialism, but also they like cultivated this relationship out of um, violence and yeah, so it was just this added layer of um, like reciprocity and interdependence that they really shared that is not the kind of mainstream narrative about, about their relationship. The reason your article was so fascinating to me is because it does say something about how we perceive the relationship between service dogs or service animals and their handlers and the the, the, the logics that are brought to bear on that relationship, why certain things get emphasized and other things get left out of the telling. What do you think are the real world implications of some of your findings and some of your thinking about the relationship between service dogs being seen as saviors or in the case of Chopper, also the added layer of having a, a military dog that has shored up the boundaries of the nation? 
what are the what are the real world implications for people who own service dogs? Because many will tell you that there's a great deal of confusion about the rights of people with service dogs and you know where they can go and where they can't where they're not allowed. So when you bring the conversation out of sort of the realm of abs- of, 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 of abstract theory maybe and, and you talk about the implications for real people with service animals, what do you think those are? Yeah, I think that I have actually like a, a good little anecdote. Um, but first I'll just say, I think that um, the problem we see here is that there are, you know, there's, what is being created is these certain um, like ideals of, of service dogs, what they look like, how they act. Um, and uh, Margaret Price has a great article called um, what's a, what's a service animal, I think. And she talks about this, about how, you know, especially able-bodied people or like in our ableist world, we have an idea of what a service dog looks like. And a lot of times that's not what a service dog looks like. Um, and so when a service dog doesn't look or act like what we expect a service dog to look or act like, that means that usually the, the disabled handler is the one who's going to get questioned, is going to get denied entry into spaces. Um, and it creates these um, hierarchies that are, are not questioned. Um, but I think another thing that's really interesting is thinking about how, um, like, how service dogs are widely loved in a lot of senses because people love dogs. And so this is kind of like a, but this is kind of a story about that. So really quickly um, on my campus at the University of Kentucky, uh, there is a program where people can train service dogs or they socialize them. They socialize service dogs um, through a uh, a nonprofit um, and so there are a bunch of people who are um, socializing service dogs on campus. And I teach a disability studies class um, at UK. And so we talk about service dogs. We have a whole unit where we talk about service dogs. And so I ask my students in my class, I ask them, how difficult do you think it is to get a service dog? And everyone in the class is always like, it's not difficult at all. They're everywhere. We see them everywhere. It must be super easy to get a service dog. And I have huh. to say, no, actually, it's really difficult. That wouldn't have been my answer. Yeah, like, it has to, it's really difficult. The service dogs you see everywhere are dogs that are being socialized. Those aren't people who are using the dogs. And so students will, you know, get a little bit like, oh, okay, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that. Um, and so I think when we, you know, have a pro- proliferation of, of dogs um, and people love dogs, people have this idea that, you know, Ableism is over. We have these service dogs everywhere for disabled people. It's not that hard to get a dog. When in reality, it is extremely difficult to get a dog if you're not a veteran or if you're not a child. Service dogs on average cost about $25,000 trained. Um, And there's still like so much discrimination that disabled people with service dogs face um, because people don't believe that service dogs are, you know, real or service dogs are legitimate, um, like mobility or like technologies of rehabilitation, if we want to call them that. Um, But also, I think that just the confusion that's being perpetuated by, you know, folks not really understanding what a service dog's role is, 
um, just really harms disabled people who, who use service dogs. When we have a misunderstanding about the role of the service dog, when we have a misunderstanding about like this idea that service dogs really can look anyway, then really the people who are harmed are not even just the disabled people who use their service dogs, but the service dogs as well. Anastasia Todd, we've got to leave it there. Thank you very much for joining me today on the program. Thank you. Anastasia Todd is Assistant Professor of Gender and Women's Studies at the University of Kentucky. That's all the time we have for today. Please write us with your feedback at feedback at ami.ca or find us at on Twitter at AMI-audio. Use the hashtag PulseAMI. This week, The Pulse was brought to you by the following people. Our videographer is Ted Cooper. Video editor is Jordan Steves. Mark Aflalo is our technical producer. Ryan Delahenty is the coordinator for podcasts at AMI-audio. And Andy Frank is the manager for AMI-audio. And I've been your host, Chuita Gupta. Thanks so much for listening. 